sermon today is titled True Religion. Let's read the words of James again. James 1, 26 to 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So last sermon we looked at how our speech betrays what is evidently working in our heart. We looked at certain verses, we looked at Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We looked at Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We looked at Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the judgment day, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. See, we, we saw that the bridling of the tongue is first initiated by the bridling of our hearts. The change that occurs inward. The heart of man is evil and by nature full of wickedness that only result in dead works. The heart is, a deceitful, is deceitful above all things. That's what Jeremiah says. Desperately sick, sick. Who can understand it? See, a thorough examination of our heart is required. But we cannot trust ourselves. We don't even understand our own heart. So who can know their thoughts accurately? Only the true and living God of the Bible is able to discern and to decipher what's going on in our heart. We need to cry to God in prayer as David did in Psalms 139, 23 to 24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. So we've now come to the second part of the sermon. We, we looked at the, what occurs inwardly, now we, we want to see what happens outwardly. The outward acts of a believer. See, in June this year, a couple of days after my birthday, my, my grandma also celebrated her birthday. She turned 80 this year. I spent six years living with my, my grandma and my grandpa when I was younger. My um, parents were studying here at the time, and so I lived with them from the age of six months to about six years. So, as usual, called on her birthday, um, thought I'd be able to speak to her. I got through to my granddad. And so I said, oh, grandpa, I call him Grandpa. Grandpa, I said, where's Grandma? Grandma had gone to the orphanage. So I said, you know, the alarm bell started ringing. He says, it's your birthday, it's her birthday. What's she doing um, going to the orphanage? I'm there thinking, you know, this is COVID times. <laughs> Surely you should be at home. So later on, I was able to see some pictures of her at this orphanage with these children. The joy in her face with her half-worn mask, with loads of kids around her. 
the joy that she was bringing to them, the joy that she received as well. See, last month my grandma became a widow. My granddad passed away. She'd only just turned 80. They celebrated 60 years anniversary. I had an extraordinary grandpa. His love for Jesus and his faith was there to be seen right from early. He lived, he lived in peace with his family, with those around. He sought peace with barristers and lawyers that sought to, to do wrong to him. He was a barrister himself. But he always extended love to others, helping financially, forming relationships to build gaps within family, how family breaks down. He sought to, to connect people together again. My grandma, what can I say? She's extraordinary as well, her love, her kindness, because of her faith in Jesus. I don't know how I spend my birthday. My birthday is normally with family. I've never been to the orphanage. I don't know if you've ever been to orphanage. What do we do even in times when we want to celebrate? Do we share with other people? Do we show love to them? What does your serving demonstrate about your love for Jesus? What is your testimony about your relationship with Jesus? Is your religion pure before God? Is your religion undefiled before God? If you've been following James closely, you notice that this is quite a practical book. He talks about how we live our lives as Christians, our faith, the test of our faith. The outward flow of a regenerated heart is a practical demonstration of faith in Jesus. Firstly, our relationship with God, and then our relationship with others, with Christians, with unbelievers. If we look back at verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and on the far before God the Father. This is before God. This is not before Pastor Chola, this is not before our parents, this is before God, how we live before God. This true religion that he's talking about can only and denotes an outward working of a spiritual, spiritually transformed heart that's worked in us and through us only by God. See, the context here that James is talking about is a practical demonstration to others from our obedience, from a Christian's obedience to the word of God. We are to obey the word of God to care for the needy, to avoid being stained by the sins of the world. It is simply charity, it's love, kindness to others and being holy and righteous also. We don't just help people, it's about what is in our hearts also. Are we changed, are we transformed? Are we holy and righteous before God? This, the consecrated heart that loves Jesus and lives for Jesus should be revealing the character of Jesus. We must reveal the character of Jesus to the world, to our society, to those around us, our family, to our friends, to strangers. See, we can't embrace the philosophies of this world. We can't allow the philosophy of this world to, to kindle our hearts to serve. What helps us to serve, what aids us to serve is our love for Jesus. See, a Christ-centered heart demonstrates true compassion for the weak and vulnerable, yet remaining set apart. 
see that verse 27, he's talking about pure religion being serving the needy, yet being unstained from the world, yet not being in, you're in the world, but not part of the world, not subjected to the world's ways and loving and cherishing and holding fast to the things of the world. We are set apart. That's what James is saying. It's a setting apart from the world and worldly ways. We are the church people. We're called the ecclesia, the called out ones. We've been set apart. We've been called for a purpose. We are not BLM. We're not the Democratic Party. We're not the Labour Party. We're not the, we're not the Conservative Party. We are God's people. We are his chosen people, his chosen race. Our identity is in Jesus and Jesus alone. So we want to look at two points today. The compassionate heart unstained in a sinful world. And secondly, the Father's heart, or you could say Jesus' heart. The heart of Jesus. The compassionate heart. See, some professing Christians pride themselves on their outward service. Very much, they're religious. However, they're just selfish, self-idolatrous, worship of self. They defile their religion because God, because before God, because their hearts are yet to be captivated by Jesus. Jesus doesn't live there. Jesus doesn't live in their heart. Their spirit has not been made alive, alive in Christ. We can only be made truly alive by God and for God. If it's not that, then another reason may be that we are still holding on to the pleasures of the world. We compromise. We would rather not stand firm when we face opposition. We don't stand firm for the things of God. We don't stand firm for righteousness. See, humanly speaking, our religion, our outward acts may seem pure, undefiled before God, but really it's stained. It's defiled. We can put so much confidence in ourselves, being deceived by our heart and believing our worship, our singing, the hymns that we sing, our serving, our evangelism, our reaching out, that these things bring glory to God, but really our hearts have not been changed. See, James was knowledgeable about the Old Testament. And he would have understood what true religion is. He's referring here to an inward cleansing, purification, sanctification, in contrast to the Old Testament ceremonial cleansing that occurred. See, the Pharisees knew about this. this. They placed so much emphasis on these ceremonial cleansing and and if, if you had contact with anyone that was unclean, you went to any unclean place or an unclean animal, then you were deemed unclean. It was, it was forbidden to be near such people in such places. When we look at the state of religion at this time that James is writing, we see so many similarities with what's going on in our world also. There's so many kinds of religion. Idol worship, worship of false gods, we see the Extinction Rebellion, see what they stand for. Veganism is a religion to some people. We've got this, all this new age things that's going on in our world. See, these Jewish Christians would 
mainly have previously followed Judaism. God ordained that for his people, right? This was a theocratic system, a political religious system set up by God for his people. But yet, the system was corrupted by the leaders and the people. See, Romans 1.23 makes it clear that these corrupted leaders and people exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And what did God do? Therefore God gave them up in the loss of their hearts to impurity, to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies. Among themselves they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. See, when James states religion that is pure and undefiled before God, there is a correction of this false religion and defiled practice of this religion that the Jewish Christians may have previously followed. James is setting the record straight. He's saying that, you know, whatever you believe before, Previously, he states that for anyone who thinks he is religious, but their mouth and words are uncontrollable, their mouths are like loose cannons, they have no control, they deceive themselves, whatever they profess. Now, he addresses the individual first, he talks about what's going on in the heart, the will, the emotions, but now he's dissecting what, how religion fits into society, how we relate to other people, how we relate to the world at large. We see that there's a shift here from the personal to the outward. There's a shift from examining oneself to examining our interactions and relationship with others. We are one to visit orphans and the widows in their affliction. Two, and to keep oneself unstained from the world, separated, unmixed, unblemished from the world that we live in. It seems so simple. It seems like he's just saying, like, to my, just go and visit some orphans, visit some widows, and that's enough. That's not just what he's saying. That's not just what he's saying. It sounds so simple. Notice this religion that he's saying is pure and undefiled before God the Father. This speaks of God's plan and purpose to adopt us into a family. God before God the Father. This is God's perfect plan. See, our God never forsakes or leaves those that are dear to his heart. He's a defender of his people, steadfast in loving kindness. Faithful God, faithful love. James reveals this true religion before God the Father should demonstrate that God's heart towards the weak, needy and brokenness and those who are broken. The Bible describes God's compassion and justice for widows and orphans in so many, so many scriptures. Just to name a few, Psalm 68, 5-6 says that the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in, ho- in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So we know God's heart for the orphans and the widows. But what is James implying here? Is it just that? What James is implying here is not that true religion is limited to visiting just the orphanage 
and the widows, but rather having a compassionate heart, a tender heart for the needy, the lost, those that the society rejects, the poor, the destitute, the hopeless, the weak. Ezekiel 16.49 says this, this is when God compares Jerusalem with, with Sodom. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. See, Sodom, they were rebellious against God and th th their sins were, were great. <laughs> In addition, they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were stained. They were stained. They joined the world. They conformed. They left the living God. Is there a link between visiting and serving others in need and keeping ourselves stained? Yes. Being stained by the world can affect our true worship of God. If we are stained, how can we come before the Holy God? How can we come before Him and serve Him? Diligently. Paul in Philippians 3, 3-7 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and in glory, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says he's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What do we learn from this? See, circumcision was always something of the heart and not a physical demonstration. It was a sign that pointed to the need for their heart to be set apart to love Jesus, to love God, and set apart from the world. See, true worshippers of God have circumcised hearts. They trust in Jesus. They boast in Jesus. They do not put their trust and confidence in anything else. See, Paul describes his outward credentials, his status, his achievements, his zeal, his self-righteousness and higher standard of keeping the commands of the law. All of Paul's previous religious undertakings, a follower of Judaism, were external works without inner heart change. He had command, commanding acts, but he, his heart was uncircumcised. He followed a dead religion, dead because Jesus had not made a home in him. This religion was corrupted by the leaders and its people which resulted in a great evil that many did, including themselves. Think about what you're currently doing that seems noble, what portrays zealousness, what portrays that you are an active worker, what sets you apart from an unbeliever. Just because you do those things doesn't... What, what sets you, what, what puts you separately from what unbelievers do also? If you haven't had your sins forgiven, if you haven't been cleansed by Jesus, then your heart is unregenerate. You can look 
like you're committed to Jesus, outside speaking. You, look, you can look like you're serving Jesus, but you don't have Jesus in your heart. Jesus is not there. Hearts void of Jesus only produce mere activity, but not God-glorifying acts of kindness and relationships. See, activity does not mean productivity at all. And certainly an unregenerative heart does not produce a righteous activity. It's not the act, but who or it's not the act, but who your actions glorify that matter. Are your acts glorifying yourself or are they glorifying God? What are your actions producing? Do they build up the body of Christ? Do they demonstrate the love, the care, the compassion of Jesus? Are you patient and bearing with others' weaknesses? Are you full of grace? Do you offer spiritual living water as well as physical water to those who are thirsty? Do you offer spiritual bread as well as physical bread to those who are hungry? Paul had to get to a place of seeing his spiritual blindness through his physical blindness, thus observing this false and impure religion he was following. And then he had to receive spiritual eyes to behold Jesus. We see that on the way to Damascus. He went from an outward circumcision which resulted in decay and death to others and to himself to an inward cleansing by the light of the gospel and the circumcision of the heart which gave birth to new life in Jesus. See, when you encounter Jesus and Jesus resides inside of you, the only result is true and pure religion. Spurgeon writes this, Yet charity without purity will be of no avail. In vain should we give all our substance to the poor and give our bodies to be burned. If we do not walk in the way of holiness, without which no man shall see God. If we do not come out from the world and keep ourselves from its polluting influence, we have not yet learned what pure and undefiled religion is. We may be very orthodox in creed, or we may be very far advanced in our knowledge of religious matters. We may think ourselves to be Hebrews of the Hebrews, Pharisees of the Pharisees, and as, a touch, and as touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless, but we are in the sight of God only as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, unless by divine grace we have learned to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. You see, if we neglect purity, if, as we see in James there, said, if, if filthiness and rampant wickedness were not put away as in James chapter 121, then whatever charity we do is defiled and is foul before God. In a world where Jesus, the word of God, the Bible, is not held as, as the highest standard anymore, we see an increase in impurity. We see it uh, that leads only to pride, pride in us, pride in the world. We know what happens when we are full up, full up of pride. God brings down the pride. But how do you keep yourself from staying from the world? Simply by loving, by not loving the world. 
and refraining from the worldly things, the love of worldly things. See, 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world. This is a devotion to the world system opposed to God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. See, I could give a list of the things of how not to love the world. I don't think it will suffice. See, our, our, defi- our non-defilement and non-staining is this, firstly the work of God. See, the church are the called out ones. God has, that God that has before time elected his people has called us in time as we've been learning in, in Bible studies to hear the gospel. We are called to be separate from the world. There's so many distractions nowadays. There's work, there's relationships, temptations. We see it listed in James. Idleness, time-wasting activities, our phones, our desires. But true believers that love God do not continue to sin. God works in us as a process of sanctification. He's washing us and cleansing us continuously, reforming our hearts. Yes, God does all these things for us, but it's not, it does not mean that we haven't got a res- responsibility ourselves in walking upright before God. That's what James says, to keep oneself. There's an effort there on our part. We have a part to play, to be unstained from the world. We have a responsibility to keep oneself unstained. Be separate. We are separate because God calls us to be separate, but we have a part to play to keep ourselves from the love of the world. See, trials of God will come, temptations will surely come, hard times will come, persecution will come, opposition will come. See, when we're searching for a job and it's, we're waiting and we're, see, we're seeking the Lord and there's no advancement, do we wait and be patient for the Lord or, or do we turn to other ways? When temptation comes from that lady in the office, do we run, as in the case of Joseph, or do we entertain? When no one is watching and you're all alone, what does your life consist of? Is it secret addictions? Or is it private devotion to God, seeking to live Honourable before the Lord. If God himself has called you and made you his child and has adopted you as a son, how should you live? See, the word of God should be the standard that we live by. We should put our trust and act upon God's word. We must resolve to give others what they need the most also. We're talking about serving and reaching out. But the greatest thing that anyone needs is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What does your lifestyle say to the world? Are you of the world or are you set apart for Christ? Is it showing that you have been marked by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of your sins? Pardoned from the just punishment of eternal death? Or are you wrapped up in the deception the world offers? the money, the thrills. See, all of this is not possible, our serving, our living righteous and being unstained without the Father's heart. Jesus' heart for us, his people. Jesus' heart for the world. 
First John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. But that is what we are. See, Jesus in all points was tempted as we are. He faced temptation to sin. He had no home. He suffered in flesh. He suffered the utmost pain. Suffered on the cross. He was rejected by many, even his family. Even James, that's writing this, at one point rejected Jesus. He faced many sorrows. But his heart was always full of compassion. His heart was always to forgive sinners, to save sinners. His heart is to save sinners. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to feed the hungry, to be tender in people's afflictions. To empathise with others in their sufferings. See, there are two things that, that bring, that stir up Jesus' compassion. Our afflictions and our sins. Right from the Garden of Eden, we see the original sin of Adam and Eve and the resulting curse and afflictions from God. But we can't miss God's compassion if it was with the promise to send the seed of the woman, Jesus, who would crush the serpent's head. Yeah. See, God had compassion on sinners even when we had nothing to give. In the brokenness of our relationship with God, He had compassion for us. He loved us. He had mercy on us. See, true religion is not possible without a true relationship with Jesus. To serve others as Jesus did requires a relationship with Jesus. If we look back to verse 27 again, we see the word visit, to visit the orphans, to visit the widows. That word is used so many times in the Bible, and just to name a few, we see it in Matthew 25, 36. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to, to me. This is the personal contact. It says, you visited me. A personal presence. Personal engagement. In Matthew 25, 43, it says, I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. But this is one I love the most. It says Luke 1.68 Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and has accomplished redemption for his people. Jesus has visited, visited us personally. God sent his only son to visit us. The image of the invisible God. He has come to visit us. He has come to visit humanity. To save, to redeem his people. He could have done that proxy. Now you, we, we vote in a proxy manner. He could have done that, but he came, he visited us in this sin-stained world. He came down to her earth. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This was the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. We ought to have the same mindset. To serve by visiting people 
in their needs and afflictions, not just from afar. There are times when we cannot draw close to people and meet their needs, but meet, need, uh, meet their needs, but we can still pray for them. Jesus, that has ascended, what is he doing at the right hand of the Father? He's interceding for us. His compassion still remains. He's interceding for his people. We can also intercede even when we're not able to get close enough or, or be present or for so many different reasons why we can't necessarily be, we, we, can have, we can't show our outward affection and our, and our love in a personal way, but we can pray for people. See, radical love considers others more highly than ourselves through humility of service. Radical love does nothing from selfish ambition or deceit. We love others even when they have nothing to give us, nothing to repay us. That's true love. We love freely. We should love deeply. If you're a true follower of Jesus, then you're born again. Your heart has been surrendered to our Lord Jesus, the saving grace of the gospel. Like James says, the word of truth, the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God is able to save our souls, has softened our previously hardened hearts. We should experience and continue to grow in the knowledge and understanding of God's love through Jesus. We should daily recognise our sins and know that our identity is in Jesus and him alone and our sins have been forgiven by him, past, present and future sins. They have been forgiven. We are grateful for the grace, mercy, compassion shown by him to save our souls from utter gloom, from hell. What is our response? It can only be to grow in the love, in, in love for Jesus and the heart of compassion and love for others. We need to have a heart to love Jesus, loves him dearly and loves others. See, this pure and undefiled religion is demonstrated externally in conduct, compassion, and extending love to others, but it originates from a transformed heart, a renewed heart. So James rebukes false religion that behaves externally, following rules and commandments, shows elements of godliness, but the heart of the individual has not been changed, has not experienced the light of the gospel. This worthless religion, as we see in verse 26, coming from a deceived heart, is now contrasted here in 27. A deceived heart that bears fruit of worthless religion is contrasted here with a true believer's heart that bears the fruit of pure and undefiled religion. The reality is when we are saved, we're not just sincere people. You can be sincere and not be saved. But if we are truly saved, we show love to others and we serve in our locality and our community. But we remain unstained from the world. 
Charity without purity is false religion. The greatest need that we can give to those that we love, to those who are widows, those who are orphans, to the needy, to the poor, is Jesus himself, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. See, the world as the father of lies, but they truly need the heavenly father. They need to see the father's heart, they need to see the heart of Jesus. The world is married to sin, death, destruction. They need the bridegroom, Jesus himself. He willingly laid down his life to die on a cross for me and you. See, some visit the needy in their afflictions, but lack the love of Jesus as their motive. Some visit the needy in their afflictions, but mix with the world and all that it offers. Some hate the world system, and we can put whatever we want in that bracket there, but lack the love of Jesus as their true motive. Some attend church and, ser- and seek to serve God in whatever way they can, but lack the love of Jesus as their motive. Some preach and teach the word of God, but lack the love of Jesus as their motive. What is the motive of what you do, for what you do? What is the motive for what I do? So James is saying that we must be doers of God's word. In word and in deed. In how we speak, in how we serve our community, in how we serve others in need, especially in their afflictions. James is saying we should be doers of of God's word in how we deal with our internal aspects where people can't see as well as our outward show of our service before God the Father. James is saying that we need to consider thoroughly where is our heart residing? Is it loving Jesus? Is it living for Jesus? Do we draw day by day nearer to Jesus? Are we living a life that's for show? Because these things will will be revealed in the last day. Our hearts must be surrendered to Jesus and in love with Jesus. We We must be strangers living in this world. This is not our home. This is not where we will be forever. We have an eternal home. We have an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And we must continue to pursue that in what we do and how we live our internal life and how we live our life before the brethren. In what we do and what we say. This is the heart of the gospel. To love Jesus with all our hearts, with all our minds and our soul. To love others as we love ourselves. Amen.